Hello everyone, welcome to the Bootstrap Founder Podcast. My name is Avid Kahl and I talk about how you can start, run and sell the Bootstrap business. This episode is called Finding an Audience for Your Side Business. Today, I will introduce you to a framework that I've been working on ever since I started writing my book, Zero to Soul. In the book, I talk about an audience-first approach on bootstrapping. And I've always felt that there's no actionable step-by-step framework out there for that. So that's what I'm working on at the moment. Please feel free to listen to today's episode and tell me what you think about it. Send an email, DM me on Twitter, or use a messenger pigeon. Just please reach out to me with feedback. My work on the audience-first framework here is itself audience-first. And I would love to hear what you, my audience, have to say about it so I can make it better. So, in fact, I need your insights on this one. So, let's dive right in and let's get started. Today, I will talk about how you can use a data-driven method to find an audience for your site business. I've seen this approach work for several founders, allowing them to discover an audience that not only would sustain a business for many years, but also make it an enjoyable journey. Before we get to the step-by-step guide, I would like to address one particular problem that many newly minted entrepreneurs have, particularly when they come from an engineering background. They severely underestimate the importance of an audience with devastating consequences. Here's an example. Have you ever been to a museum only to be shoved through a gift shop on your way out? The gift shops are not the main attractions. Obviously, that's the museum. Yet they contribute significantly to those institutions' bottom lines. But no entrepreneur in their right mind would open a museum gift shop in their garage and then expect it to make a profit. A store stocked with art prints and interior design books needs a very specific audience. Museums have understood that to sell art-related books to people, they need to put the store where their artsy audience already is, on their way out of an exhibition. And museums have understood a core rule of a successful business. Find your audience first, then sell them something that they need. They think audience first. And if museums have understood that, why do we still see so many founders creating solutions searching for a problem? Why do so many entrepreneurs strain their minds to find this good, great business idea, jump to building the product immediately, and then wonder why they can't seem to find anyone to buy their solution? And how can you avoid making this exact same mistake? while building your own business. I think it all starts with the cure to all bias, and that's introspection. Mainly, if you're coming from an engineering background, your perspective will be biased towards creating products. For engineers, everything is a potential product. We're trained to create products. We're taught to think product first. We use products. We make products. And we know products. Sadly, that often leads us to a logical fallacy. We assume that since we felt the need for a certain thing to exist, others will have the same need. We wanted it, so others will want it too. And even when it's clear they don't, we push ourselves to think that if we just sell it hard enough, someone will buy what we offer. This approach is putting the cart before the horse. It's the wrong way around. If we built a product first and then asked who might buy it, we leave a lot to chance. It's like testing in production. You want to check your code is working well before you deploy it to your customers. Why not do the same for your business? To me, the best way to keep the amount of guesswork to a minimum is a staged 
validation approach. Instead of starting with an idea, then building a product and then checking if it solves a problem for someone out there, I recommend the following steps. First, you explore which audiences you want to help. Select the audience that you think is most likely to support your business endeavors and then validate. Make sure the audience is interesting for you, has a good size, has exciting problems, and is willing to pay for a solution. And we're going to talk about this today. I will show you those steps and how to do it in a data-driven way. After that, you observe the audience and detect their most critical problems. You select the most critical problem out of those and then validate again. You make sure that the problem is truly critical, that people are already looking for solutions, that there's demand and it can't be easily ignored or delegated. After that, you envision a solution to this particular problem within the workflow of your audience. And then you validate again. Make sure that your solution doesn't have unintended side effects and solves the problem without adding any additional work. And now, finally, and only now, think of the product. In which medium do you need to provide your solution? Will it be a mobile app, a book, a SaaS application, a platform, a course? Now is the time for the idea and the product. If you follow these steps, you will notice that your grand, great idea has to wait. It's not a stroke of genius that comes out of nowhere, but rather a carefully deliberated consequence of three distinct validation steps. It would be best if you learned first who's out there, what struggles they generally have, and how you can best help them, and then build. This way, your product's chances to succeed are much higher than going with a completely unvalidated idea. So, here's the pragmatic approach to audience exploration. The goal of this exercise today is to help you find this initial audience. So let's start with exploring which audience fits you best and make sure it's capable of supporting a business. In my mentoring work over the last years, I have discovered a five-step approach that produces and produced remarkable results. It will allow you to find an audience that you can serve for a long time and that will serve you for equally as long. I will suggest pragmatic steps that you can take to find your optimal audience. Don't follow those steps blindly as they might not work as well for you as they've worked for me and my mentees. Find what works for you and use this as the foundation for your own personal framework to tackle the problems. The five-step approach will give you data so numbers you can inspect, you can weigh them, you can draw conclusions from them. While those conclusions will be highly unique to every founder, collecting the information is very straightforward. And that's what I'm going to present. It will give you insight into yourself. And that's extremely valuable just for deciding something as important as selecting the audience that you will need to work for and with for many years. And the result of this exercise today will be a list of audiences that you can help by building a product that solves the critical problem and may result in the opportunity of building a sustainable business. It will be a ranked list with the most likely candidate audiences on top and the less interesting ones at the bottom. You will need to take a few notes during the process, so start with an empty spreadsheet, which you can hopefully do on a computer, but you can also take a piece of paper and just draw up a couple columns, a couple lines, put audience name in the first column, and then we can start with the first step. It's all you need. Spreadsheet with a couple columns. The first step is awareness, thinking of the possible audiences. To find a niche audience that will allow you to build a great business, you will first need to become aware of it. 
right? Some niches are clearly visible and you already know them. And then there are some that are somewhat hidden. And this step is concerned with finding all of them. The goal of this step is to find a group of people you want to help. It should be a well-defined group, best centered around a common interest or activity. And for that, a tribe will work best. Tribes consist of people that share an interest, are highly interconnected and follow the same leaders. They make for wonderful niche audiences, particularly if you intend to bootstrap your business. You might be part of a few tribes at this very moment that you consciously know about and some that you're not. So let's figure out how we can find all of them. Start with yourself and then expand from your inner circle towards the outer boundaries of the people you know. I will give you a couple questions that you can ask yourself to go down that route. The first one is really which tribes do you already belong to? What communities are you part of? Consciously, because you participate in them like a chess club, being a chess club member, or unconsciously, just by affiliation, like being a sports fan for a particular team. It can involve virtual communities and real world groups alike. It doesn't really matter. Just note down all the tribes that you consciously or maybe subconsciously belong to. Put them in the list. Then go through your hobbies. What hobbies do you have? What do you enjoy enough to spend money on, even though it's not essential or vital? Examples for this are things like craft beer or fixing up old cars, just hobbies, things that you have a budget for and that you know that other people have a budget for as well. Third, what professions do you have? What kinds of job have you been doing throughout your life? Different jobs, very likely. What types of professional communities have you been part of? Find those things, note down all the audiences that come to your mind. And these questions all center around you, but you can also look into the people around you. What is your significant other doing? Which groups do they belong to that are different from your groups? Which groups did they belong to before you met? When they were kids, which clubs and associations were they part of? What do they care about? And then go to your parents and siblings, ask what jobs they're working in, ask yourself and maybe talk to them, what groups to hang out with for fun, what are the things that you talk about at family gatherings about which they, whoever they are, have a surprising level of insight, right? Who are the people that are really, really dedicated to a certain thing and know a lot about it? So find those and find the audiences that complement that. And then ask yourself, what are the social circles that you usually frequent? What kinds of people do you interact with? Think of a party that you've been to recently or another kind of social gathering, a meetup, virtual meetups, meetings. Who are the people, the kinds of people you click with most and what do they do? Write that down. The list that you came up with from this exercise should contain a few dozen audiences. Let, let me give an example of what my personal list would look like. I have a very long one and I have a short one just for this example. The short one is, um, I just went through my personal life, my personal um, audiences that I was part of, the niches, the communities, and here they are. Software engineers, obviously being one. Bootstrap founders, well, it's the name of the podcast, but I'm also a founder and I'm also bootstrapped. So that is one. Heavy Twitter users, I'm on Twitter quite a bit. Um, hobby chefs, and I love to cook, so that's also one. Gaming fans, I do like gaming. And then I just went on and on with all the things I'm doing. And I'm just going to give you the examples here. Avid nonfiction readers, amateur podcasters, opera singers. And that might strike you as strange, but this is not just about me, right? This is about my partner, Danielle, who I founded Feedback Panda with. She is a trained opera singer. So if I ever wanted to do anything in the art scene for an 
audience of artists, she would be the perfect partner to do it with. Or expats, which she's as well. Or then I looked into the rest of the family and I found plumbers, I found construction workers, I found nurses, cattle farmers, online teachers, social scientists, engineers, civil engineers, UX designers, tax professionals, traveling salespeople, and finally nonfiction authors. That is my list of side business audiences. And for each audience on this list, I'm either the expert or an expert, or I have direct access to an expert in my circle of friends and family. The full list I've collected over the last couple of years contains at least 300 different audiences, and I bet you can come up with at least 100 distinct groups of people within a few hours. For this example, I think 30 of your most notable audiences will suffice. But still, this list is something you can use for the rest of your life to build businesses for. So explore. Another way of finding audiences that you might not already be aware of is by just looking at the things around you. For every object that you see, and I'm just looking at my desk, I see a book, I see a cup, I see a microphone, I see a computer, I see a screen, I see a phone. Just figure out who made that, who they uh, made it for, how they made it, and how it's being used. And why who made it and how it's being used will give you audiences immediately, The who it's for and how they made it will allow you to think about the interactions that the object went through either while it was made and just think of the many businesses and activities that are involved in the production chain of something like a sheet of paper, it's also my desk, like forestry is involved, logging is involved, paper mills, distribution, sales and marketing, or think of the things that are involved while it's being used. And let's just stick with the piece of paper. Pen makers are involved, printer factories are involved, publishers, editors, book club organizers, and even wedding table card printers, right? That's as specific as you can get. Most objects, when examined like this, will bring to mind a few dozen audiences. And I really recommend this. Stepping through your day from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep, looking at the things around you and thinking about who this is for, how this can be used, how is it made, and who made this. For every single object. Your espresso machine, your watch, your tape recorder, your headphones, the books you read, the, your sofa, your couch, everything. There's always something out there that could be a potential audience for business. And you'll be done with this step when you have a few dozen, best around 100 or more audiences. Like I said, for the example today, 30 or something will be fine. If you just want to do a quick exploration, you're trying to find so many to open up your mind about what different things people do and group up around. And it's important to step out of your comfort zone and expand the horizon of what you can work with. And the real impact of transferable skills, of which I assume you have many, lies where they have not yet been transferred to. You are trying to find those places. You're trying to find the audiences that could benefit from something that you know and others know is totally possible and already used, but this particular audience doesn't know about this yet. That's what you want to find with this exercise. So let's get this audience list that you now have and go to the second step, which I call affinity. Find out how much you care about them. Because with a list of possible audiences and niches like you have now, you will now need to weed out the markets you just don't care about. No business was ever successfully built 
by a founder who didn't care about the people that they were selling their product to or serviced. You need to care to help your customers genuinely, or you will lose interest in providing value to them at some point. And this is a very subjective step in the process. You will need to think for a few minutes about the kinds of people you expect to work with in each of these industries. And this is best done by asking yourself a few questions for each audience and just giving every audience a score. Add a new column to your spreadsheet called affinity. And for every row in your spreadsheet, you will need to produce a rating between zero and 10. Zero means that you don't care about serving this audience at all. And 10 means that you want to devote your whole life to serving the people of that niche. And you can go about this in many different ways. I think the shortest and best way is just get a feeling between zero and 10 of how much you care about these people. Just ask yourself the following couple questions and then figure out where you are on the scale. Question number one is, do you think the audience members need help that has not yet been given to them in the past? Do you think that the members of this audience deserve to succeed much more than they currently do? Do you imagine conversations with those people to be interesting, fruitful, and enjoyable? Or do you see a more profound reason, maybe a passion that drives the members of this audience to do what they do? Is this audience doing something meaningful? Or could the people in this niche be doing something more substantial? Or do you think you would benefit from learning a lot about the work in the niche? The more of those questions that you can answer with a yes and a sound yes, like a strong yes, a hell yeah, the higher your score should be. When you've answered all of these, just put the point value in there and that number will be an indicator of how much you care about the audience. And then once you've done this, for every single audience that you have in your list, sort your list by this affinity descending and that view alone is very eye-opening when you do it for the first time in your life because you will see clusters appear. There will be a cluster of things that you care about because you're part of those audiences, right? Like I'm a gamer, I'm a founder, I'm a software engineer. Obviously, I care about these things. But that's, and that's a great resource of potential businesses as you will be solving your own potential problems. And then there will be another cluster in the group of audiences that you're genuinely interested in because a particular passion or mission drives them. And that will provide you with an eager audience member, right? Lots of eager audience members willing to try out anything that makes their job easier because they believe it's an important job to do. And when, you, when I look at my list that I ranked, I find a lot of my like my professional cluster there. Bootstrap founders, nonfiction authors, gaming fans, software engineers, all of these I score in very, very high. And um, that is just something really insightful that I do for myself. I don't necessarily, in this short list, have a big cluster of mission and passion-driven audiences, but I have one in my larger list. The important part is find the audiences in this list that you resonate with. And while you do this, be careful not to be prejudiced too much. I suggest talking to your resident experts for the niches that you're not yourself an expert in, to getting a feeding for the audience from the inside, and then stepping through the questions. Because otherwise, you might be highly prejudiced, and I don't necessarily recommend that. And then once you've done this, once you've went through this step, move the audiences with an affinity of five or less onto another sheet of your spreadsheet. They're not the prime targets for now, but they might change um, over time. You might change over time. You might change your mind. So we're interested right now only in audiences that you care about at this very moment, as this will be a requirement for spending significant time and effort on the exploration and validation that follows. But Keep the other audiences around. 10 years from now, maybe five years from now, 
you might need to start a new business and maybe you're interested in figuring out who you've been following, what you've been part of this whole time, this list will be interesting for you in the future. Let's get to step three. So we're halfway there. Opportunity. Find out if they have interesting problems. With a trimmed down list that you have right now, you're ready for the next step. For each audience, you will find out, want to find out, if they have any interesting problems. You're not looking into finding the most critical problem to solve just yet, as you'll only take a quick cursory view into your audience at this point. But you want to be on the lookout nonetheless. If you see something that they really need help with, that's usually a very good sign. And for each audience, do the following two things to find out if they have interesting problems. Find a few SaaS or info products in their space and see what problems they solve. Are they genuinely exciting problems? Do these problems, when solved, the solutions to them at least make a difference in a good way? And then second, find a community forum or social media group where your niche audience hangs out and go through their most recent posts. Are people struggling with things that you would find interesting to help them with? With those two approaches, you will get a pretty good lay of the land. And here are a few places to start looking for this information. And I'm using an example here, an example audience of plumbers to show that this can be done for non-digital jobs as well. You always want to look for watering holes. You want to look for the water cooler. These are the informal communities of your niche. This is where they gather without being asked to. Right? That's where they naturally go, where they exchange information freely and without supervision. And that could be Facebook groups. I found one for plumbing. It's called Plumbing Hacks and Plumbing Professional Discussions. Well, you will find a lot of interesting insight in these groups. You might need to work a bit to get into them. But explaining that you're interested in helping people and promising not to post advertisements will usually do the trick. Also, Reddit is a great source for community. The plumbing, the HVAC, and the construction subreddits are super interesting if you're looking for plumbers or plumber problems. People ask a lot of questions on Reddit, and they will talk very openly about things they dislike. That is Reddit for you. Twitter is often also a very good source for finding this information. There's a plumbing hashtag and a following a large group of people that are engaging in plumbing discussions. Find the experts there, follow them, and just see what they talk about. Those are social media, but do not disregard the non-social media spaces. There are a lot of self-hosted communities. And for plumbing, there's like web forums. Plumbingzone.com, that's a forum with over 30,000 professional plumbers or plumbersform.net. Spend a few hours or minutes, depends on how much time you want to spend, reading the threads and follow all the links to further communities and blogs to find the experts and thought leaders in the field and then follow them on social media. And the more the community you find looks like a website from the 90s, the better. Because older communities attract and contain a lot of industry veterans and a lot of information. And there's some in-between between social media and these kind of self-hosted communities, and that is Slack communities. Many trades and industries have Slack groups where experts interact on a daily basis. Use Slack community discovery platforms like Slowfile or the many others that exist to find potential candidates and then join and listen to what they're talking about. And that kind of concludes the social media space, the virtual space. Here's another one that is often overlooked, formal communities. Most trades and most industries have organizational bodies like associations and guilds that form some sort of virtual community as well. For our example of plumbers, 
the United Association of Journeymen and Apprentices of the Plumbing and Pipefitting Industry of the United States and Canada, <clears throat> has a website that contains a community and listing of subchapters with email addresses and phone numbers. Just send an email to community representatives or a phone call. That can put you in touch with the right people. And understand that these associations exist to help their communities. So if you are uh, an entrepreneur who wants to do something in a field, you can tell them that and they will point you to the right people who have good ideas, who you can talk to and figure out what problems they have. These organizations exist to make their community stronger and you can reach out with that in mind. And those organizations also host events. And events are great resources too. Find the trade shows and conferences of your audience and check their websites, which vendors were present, what topics were discussed, and usually keynote speakers and their talks are listed there, if not even recorded. So listen to that and find out more. And lastly, literature is interesting. Every industry has writers who publish papers, books, articles, or comments. Find the popular books in the niche and either read them if you have some time or find summaries to get a quick glance into the topics that they cover. And I recommend maybe spending an hour max for each audience on your list just to figure out if they have interesting problems. If you don't come up with interesting problems within an hour of researching deeply into their communities, they might not have interesting problems to solve, at least not for you, so you can skip and go to the next one. Dive as deep as you can into the industry to see what problems and complaints of the people in the industry you can surface and make a note of what exists and what doesn't exist in particular, I guess, what you thought would exist but didn't. That's an indicator of the potential transfer of knowledge that you might facilitate. As an example, like we all know customer relationship management software or time tracking software being used in software engineering and software businesses, but maybe plumbers don't have really good time tracking software or they don't have a good inventory management system. They use one from the 90s or 80s still, right? Stuff like this could be a great potential for transferring your knowledge, transferring your skills. So for each row in your audience list, take a few notes about the problem you encountered. And I would take those notes in a digital way as well. Put them in a spreadsheet, uh, another spreadsheet, a Google Doc or a Notion document. Don't put them into this spreadsheet just yet. And add another zero to 10 value common called opportunity, indicating how interesting those problems sounded to you, right? Move the problems that don't have exciting problems to another sheet, just like you did with the low affinity rows. And we can go on to the second to last step, appreciation. And that's the fourth step, trying to find out if they're willing to pay. Because in this step, you're trying to figure out if your audience has a budget for solutions to their problems. That's more likely in some audiences than in others. And Example here is a hair care product supplier business with hundreds of employees and thousands of customers will have no problem paying for a customer relationship management software. But in contrast, a single hairstylist, although they also work in the beauty industry and have to build relationships with their customers, might not have a budget available or wouldn't pay for this at all, the same kind of product. So for each audience in your list, you want to look for the signs of the following. The first one is purchasing agency. Can the people you'll be selling to make their own decisions when it comes to buying a professional tool? Will you have to make a classic sales or can you sell in a more low-touch, highly automated way? The less work and the fewer people involved, the better. Budget scope is also very interesting. 
what kinds of budget can your prospective customer in this niche usually spend on products and services? Look into other services that cater to your prospects to see how they're priced. And think of people are even aware that they have a budget for professional tools. In some industries, that might not be the case yet. People still consider themselves employees, even though they're individual agents, and they consider tools to be supplied by somebody else and not bought by themselves. So you might need to do some education. When we sold Feedback Panda to online teachers, they often didn't understand that they were self-employed business people. Sometimes you will need to create awareness within your niche so that they can improve their ways in a tax-efficient manner, right? Because they can usually um, claim the expenses for your tool from the yeah, taxman. So the more agency and reliable budgets you find in an audience, the better. If you see people complain about solutions being too expensive or that they should be free, you can usually dismiss that because those voices appear in every industry. But if that's the consensus within the communities you find, beware. You might run into walls trying to convince people to exchange money for services here. They're just not used to it. For every audience that you think is likely to pay or could be convinced to start budgeting for a solution to their problem, add another 0 to 10 value to their row on your list called appreciation. Move the audiences that have no clear indicator of purchasing intent to another sheet. And then we are finally at the last step. Step five, the size. Find out if this market can sustain a business. The last step to finding a good audience for your bootstrap, sustainably bootstrap business, will make sure your business actually will be viable. Once you're done with this step, you will end up with a list of businesses that you can build solutions for with a high chance of turning that into a business. For bootstrappers, a market has to be both large enough to sustain your business and small enough not to attract giant competitors immediately. To be able to find this Goldilocks zone, you will need to know how big your business will have to be to support you. For some founders, this will be 10,000 bucks a month in after-tax earnings, while others need this to be much more or even a bit less. Take that number, double it, and divide it by the price that you think your audience would pay for a software product or info product, whatever you do. This will be the number of customers you need to have, at least, to get to your desired income levels. Let's look at an example here. Let's say you need $15,000 a month to support yourself and your family from your SaaS business. Double that, it's $30,000 a month. You have found that in your niche audience of artisanal beekeepers in New Jersey, the average, and that's an example, right? The average budget for bee tracking SaaS is 15 bucks a month max. So for $30,000 at $15 a month max, you need 2,000 customers. You need 2,000 artisanal beekeepers in New Jersey. If you look and just try to research and you look up the New Jersey's Beekeeper Association, and yes, that exists, you find that they have eight chapters and on the website, there's a lot of emails and phone numbers. Call a few of them and tell them that you love beekeeping and you would like to help your local honey producers. The person on the other hand will be able to tell you immediately if you have your 2,000 people strong audience or not. I've done this multiple times with a lot of different industries, and it's always very insightful. And once you know the size of a market, you have valuable information, even though you don't need to get into that particular industry. Other sources of quickly determining market sizes um, are social media group user counts. 
right? Just look up how big the Facebook groups are, trade show flyers, industry reports, and just sending emails to podcast hosts in niche industries. They will be able to tell you a lot. Spend as much time as you need to figure out if an audience is big enough for your business. Then make sure there are not millions of potential customers in your niche. If you own a small bootstrap sustainable business, you will not have the resources to go up against gigantic competitors with deep pockets for marketing. Your niche should not be attractive enough for those businesses. You can grow into a much bigger like segment of your market later and then compete with them if you're already a million dollar business, but not in the beginning. They could suffocate you quite quickly. And looking back at the beekeeper example, if your audience is anywhere between 2,000 and 40,000 beekeepers, that would be great. Anything much bigger might mean competition from much larger businesses that sense the opportunity to take over your niche completely and see serve all beekeepers everywhere. Right? You can imagine that a VC-backed um, software business could just build a global solution. But you don't want to serve every beekeeper everywhere. You want to serve New Jersey beekeepers. So Pick an audience that is the right size for you. And for each audience on your list, again, another zero to 10 value, this time called size, indicating if the niche is sized just right for your bootstrap business. 10 should be a perfectly sized market. Like I said, just big enough to sustain you and not too big for other really big players to come in. Zero is a market that is either way too small or way too big. And any number in between. It's kind of, it's your guess. Right? Because sometimes you just won't guess or won't get the information that you need. You will have to make guesses and be conservative with those because it's really important for your market to have a size that is really useful to you. Move the audiences that don't fit onto another sheet and then you're done. You will now be left with a number of audiences that have passed the following five checkpoints. First, you're aware of the niche. Second, you're interested in the niche. Third, you've found interesting problems in the niche. Fourth, you've seen signs of interest to pay and demand for solutions in the niche. And fifth, you've found that the niche is big enough for your business. In your spreadsheet, create one final column, adding the point values, summarizing them for each row, and then sort the whole table so that the highest total point values appear on top. And a quick side note here, this is only basic framework that you might want to customize for your own needs. You can add more columns with another consideration. You can change the range of values for each comment to reflect how important that particular consideration is for you. Like if you don't care much about um, appreciation in the market, then don't use zero to 10, just use zero to five, because then the final score will not be impacted as much by that. And at its most basic, this spreadsheet will give you a hint of which audience is the most likely to allow you to build a successful and fulfilling business. I wouldn't overcomplicate this process too much, and I'm saying this as a software engineer, but if you want to do that, add weights for certain kind of uh, scores, a more interesting kind of calculation, go ahead. The whole point is that you list things that really matter to your business. And affinity, opportunity, appreciation, and size are important to finding a good audience. So with this list, you're ready to choose your audience. Once you have selected one of the items on your list, I just suggest doing another deep dive into that particular industry, read up on the history of the trade, see who already sells into the industry and how they speak to their customers. After this point, you will stick with your audience and focus on helping them with your problems. So finding and validating their critical problem will be your next objective. 
And once you've done that, you can work on your solution and implement your product, knowing that you are building for a validated audience. The great thing about this exercise that you will do when you go through all these steps is that you don't only end up with a few really interesting audiences to get started with right away, but you also have all those other audiences that you excluded during some steps along the way. In the future, either when you sell your business or when the world changes in a major way, you'll already have new audiences waiting to be explored again with fresh eyes. It's a backlog of pre-validated audiences that you know you could serve. Talk about a safety cushion. But for now, stick with the audience that the data says is the best choice. Dive deep into the communities and tribes and figure out what those people need help with. From there, you can build a sustainable business that solves the problem in a validated fashion without any guesswork. And that concludes the five-step process. I want to talk about something else right now. I want to share a few thoughts about the concept of audience first in particular. Because I figured out that in com- like just contemplating the steps earlier and the, the way I want to present them, there's a noticeable confusion surrounding the term audience to begin with. And that is a rather new phenomenon. And I think it's very much related to the audience first movement. There are a lot of different definitions for the word audience. And I just want to list a few just to show you how different they can be in scope and precision and how confusing that is. To some people, an audience is everybody who follows them on Twitter. To others, it's everybody who could be buying the product. Some see whole markets as their audience and others restrict it to their potential and existing customers. And then, of course, there's there's the artist perspective, where your audience is an ever-changing group of people who you're performing for right now. An audience gets conflated with terms like market, customers, users, followers, fans, prospects, and so many more. Some people talk about audiences as humans, some as some sort of consolidation of demand or a visible willingness to purchase. From real people to abstract concept, everything goes. And whenever two founders talk about who their audience is, they might mean completely different groups of people, different kinds of people even. And I've been thinking about this a bit, and I believe that while every entrepreneur will eventually have slightly different definitions of terms like audience, there's value in defining them better. So here's my distilled version trying to balance all these conflicting versions. I believe that an audience is the group of people who should be paying attention to you, your product, and your business. That's the definition that I've come up with. Your audience is part of a larger market that includes not only all your potential current and past customers, but also your competition and partners. That's a market. Your audience is limited to the people who you can serve with your product. You're solving a problem for a specific group of people. Those who don't have that problem, well, they're not part of your audience. Your audience is not limited to who you are serving right now. It also includes people you might be serving in the future and those who have served in the past. And that's the should part of the definition, right? Audience is a group of people who should be paying attention to you, your product, or your business. People who have not yet found you, but could benefit from what you offer. They should learn what that is. Once they are customers, they should interact with you because your product is providing benefits. Your audience are people who interact with you, your product 
or your business. They use your product. They rely on your business or they just find you interesting as a founder. They follow, they purchase, they use, transact, communicate, they pay their invoices and they pay attention. In short, they interact with you in some way. And your audience is not limited to your social media following. The trend to building an audience, build an audience and then sell them something has distorted the term audience to mean a following. But I think that's too simplistic. Even if you have a following, it will only ever be your audience if you actually listen to them, find and solve their problems, and build meaningful relationships. And that is the secret of the audience-first approach. Relationships are the foundation of building sustainable businesses. Validating your product every step of the way with the help of the people you're willing to serve is the audience-first path to success. And too often, those important steps are severely neglected to make a few quick dollars. People building a following quickly, growth hacking their Twitter followers just to throw any product at them and calling this their audience. That's not audience first. It's another variation of the old product first approach, just with a different sales model. Instead of throwing cash at marketing efforts or paid advertising and the like, you'll end up spending a much more valuable currency, your reputation. Selling people an overhyped product, that might work a few times, but it won't build a sustainable long-term business. And have you ever wondered why many of the most successful accounts on money Twitter, those who promised a quick and easy path to becoming a millionaire, don't use their real names? They know that their days are numbered, and they know that an anonymous brand can be burned and discarded when needed. An audience will listen and observe, they will remember, and they will punish you for failing them. And that makes the audience first approach a risky endeavor, but it's also extremely rewarding. And I remember the days of running Feedback Panda fondly. We were an audience first business, constantly in contact with our customers and prospects, observing their community chatter and talking to them ourselves on social media and through our product messaging. People noticed that we were listening and they talked to us about how much that meant to them. They were so happy that we were serving this severely underserved group of professionals, and they felt the impact that our business made. They showed us, and whenever they did, my heart was filled with joy, and it still is thinking about it. And more than anything, that was what drove us. Not money, not fame, but making a real difference in the lives of real people with real problems. That's why I think it should still be called audience first, and not customer first, or market first, or demand first, or anything else. Because it is about people. People who need something. It's about listening to them, figuring out what they are challenged by, and then making their lives easier. The word audience is derived from the Latin word audencia, which means hearing and listening. And Lewis Nichols said something very fitting this week. He said that the important difference between a market and your audience in practice is that it's useful to understand your audience and the waste of time trying to understand your market. And I really like that. That works for me. An audience listens to me and I should be listening to them. It's a two-sided relationship. Thank you for listening to the Bootstrap Founder Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at Arvid Kahl, A-R-V-I-D-K-A-H-L, and you can check out the blog at thebootstrapfounder.com. You can find my book, Zero to Sold, at zerotosoldbook.com. If you have any questions about this episode, 
reach out on Twitter, or send an email to arvid at thebootstrapfounder.com. If you want to support me and the Bootstrap Founder podcast, please leave a rating and a review by going to ratethispodcast.com slash founder. It will help other founders and founders to be to find the podcast and learn more about starting, running, and selling their bootstrap businesses. Thank you very much for listening today and have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.